Thank you for joining us today on the Factor Group Business of Pot 15-Minute Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jordan Allen, the CEO and President of Rice Brothers. Jordan, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? And then after you introduce yourself, I'm going to ask you to tell us three things that people should know about the cannabis industry. Then we'll get into some other questions. So can you introduce yourself? Sure, Scott, and thanks for having me. My name is Jordan Allen. I'm with a firm called Rice Brothers Finance. We are a lender in the cannabis space. Thank you. And so many people are starting to get up to speed on the cannabis industry. And figure you've got on this podcast some people that have been in the business for a decade and many that are just interested in pouring into the business, learning a little bit about us. Tell us three things that people should know about the cannabis industry, some history on it, some things they should know. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the history of the uh, of cannabis in the United States is is, is very interesting. The it goes back. Uh, it was originally legal um, in the early days and until the 1930s. Um, and around that time, there was a big influx of Mexican immigrants uh, into the particularly the southern part of the United States. And there was um, they brought along with them this this product that was called marijuana. Uh, up until then, um, people in the United States had heard of cannabis, which was used in many medicines at the time, but nobody had really heard of marijuana. And uh, the media was playing on the public spheres and spreading claims about the Mexicans using this this marijuana, which posed a threat to the white women and children. So um, that was um, that was used in ultimately getting it banned on a federal level. The federal government kind of got behind that. And in the 1937, they first made it illegal to transport uh, cannabis or marijuana across state lines in what was called the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which effectively banned the product. And that was um, that was that was really kind of an interesting. Uh, there's an interesting history with that. It actually, some historians also suggest that it had to do with the motive to reduce the size of the hemp industry, driven by certain wealthy Americans, particularly William Randolph Hearst and Andrew Mellon, and the Dupont family, all of whom had interest in competing products with hemp. But that was the beginning of the illegal um, nature of, of cannabis or marijuana in the, in the United States. It then um, it was later overturned and then was replaced with the Controlled Substances Act in the 1970s, which established um, what people now know as Schedule One, which was for the most highly addictive substances like LSD and heroin. Um, the group that, that originally formed that um, actually didn't believe that it even should be on that schedule. But then President Nixon, as ultimately became clear in uh, the tapes that were declassified in 2002, um, he wanted a hardline approach on marijuana control the you know the hippies and other liberals of the time. So that was how it ended up on that schedule. Um, so I think most people realize that cannabis is legal, illegal federally, but legal on a state level in 33 states, including as well as the District of Columbia. But the distinction makes it very difficult. Uh, to operate. So there's a couple examples of that. Um, first is the tax rules. Uh, the tax, uh, Section 280E of the, of the IRS code um, basically was intended to punish drug traffickers when it was enacted. And in, 19, in 2007, it was extended to cannabis, and it basically prohibits you from deducting certain deductions, certain expenses um, as part of your business, deduct, as part of your, your you know, taxable income on your business. Um, and that makes it more onerous 
as an owner. And then the other is this uh, really strange situation where U.S. companies are precluded from the accessing the U.S. stock markets and the stock exchanges uh, because of the federal illegality. On the other hand, if you do business outside of the United States, like in Canada, you can access access those markets, which has made it um, really put U.S. companies at a distinct advantage relative to, to their Canadian peers. So those are three things I think that are kind of historically uh, interesting. You're a lawyer by background. You're a business person by background. So you understand a lot of this well. This conflict between U.S. and state laws. I mean, in many states, it seems like you have a very burgeoning cannabis industry, but yet the federal government, sort of in a in a in a don't know, don't tell type situation, it's almost everybody knows that it's legal in all these states. Of course, how do you? How does this intersect between the Fed and states work? And I'll talk about it in the context of the financing of business. So tell us a yeah. little bit about that conflict between yeah. federal and state. Yeah, I mean, that is the big issue. I mean, it's really, you know, kind of what happens on the federal side is, is really the $64,000 question in, in this industry. Um, so I think it's pretty widely accepted that on the state level, um, every year there's more states that are becoming, there's just a couple more that came public, uh, that became legal in, um, with the last election. There's um, states uh, that are going from medicinal use only to recreational use. There's now 10 states, the District of Columbia and a bunch of territories. So, so I think that this, you know, the, the, the statistics are pretty compelling, right? I mean, the industry is growing 30% per year, 94% of adults approved medical, 66% of U.S. population support broad legalization. Um, and just the, the size, you know, it's not going backwards. I mean, the size of the, the uh, size of the industry, about $300,000 $300, jobs um, by next year and probably projected to double in the next five or six years. So, um, there is, you know, there is some pretty compelling uh, evidence that that that's a, you know, that an industry is going to continue to grow. And so, what happens on the federal level is really the big issue. The big issue. Let me ask you a question about the tax issue. You had yep. mentioned that on the federal level, you can't deduct normal business expenses. Doesn't this mean that some of these companies will be subject to crazily high income taxes if they're not able to deduct business expenses? It is that that's right. So you so uh, there's a lot of nuance to the to the regulation, but generally the rule is you can deduct cost of goods sold, but you can't deduct labor. So so that's generally how it goes. So most of these com- most of these companies right now, um, the private ones are are uh, limited liability companies in the United States. So they're basically it's taxed as a partnership. So that that additional tax burden is passed along to the investor. So when an investor looks at it, they have to take into account it's probably not the most tax efficient uh, uh, investment. Um, and then as a public company, um, you're paying tax and you do pay a little bit higher taxes. But that's all that's been priced into the to the value of these stocks. And, and you're operating increasingly in a position of lending to the industry can you tell us a little bit about that and exactly what your position is and what you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, sure. So what we see is um, is a really unique opportunity to provide lending to this industry. So um, so because of the federal ban, right? Any bank that's federally chartered, chartered or FDIC insured is prohibited from banking cannabis. That's not even lending. That's just providing treasury banking services. There are 
I don't know, 100 or so state licensed banks and credit unions that do provide services. So most of the companies in this industry actually do have some form of banking relationship. And certainly anybody that we lend money to would uh, would re- we would require that we're not accepting um, you know uh, attache cases full of, of cash um, and in addition because of this federal restriction a lot of the private capital private equity private debt firms have stayed away from this so really to date virtually all of the capital in this industry has been uh, raised through equity um, the cannabis industry is capital intensive, and you know if you build a new facility, it can cost you know in excess of ten million dollars. And really, where there's and there's hard assets. So in any other industry, that where there were real assets like this, companies would be able to access the debt market, but it's just not the case here. So we view this as a really unique opportunity. We see the opportunity set as very significant, um, and so we are providing capital to to companies um, in this regard. Let me ask you a follow-up question as to personally and with Rice Brothers, what percentage of your time are you spending in the industry now, and do you expect that percentage of time to grow? Oh, yeah, I definitely expect it to grow, right? This industry is growing. And and so what we do is uh, we lend across across industries. Like So for the cannabis space, if it wasn't illegal, uh, it would just be one of the other uh, other sectors that we lend against. So here, um, we lend against, you know, industrial manufacturing processing, and then we just are extending it in a sense into the cannabis space. But I see this industry growing, and so in terms of a percentage of our time and invested capital, I would say that right now it's probably a third or less. But I would expect it to be, you know, half or more certainly within the next eighteen months. And so final question. Yep. Bullish on the growth of the industry or not? Extremely bullish. Extremely bullish. I I mean, this is an industry that's growing um, uh, 30% per year. Uh, There is a – I mean, it's a really unique industry, right? Like it's growing organically. There is a defined market – already now a lot of that is illegal right but there's a 50 billion dollar marketplace for cannabis uh, already um and so if you look at any of the the data on the industry um you know you see growth from oh i don't know from you know uh to from 25 to 50 i think yeah i even saw one that suggested 100 billion a lot of it is um in the u.s a lot of it is what happens on the federal side of uh, uh, the regulations, but um, we do see uh, uh, significant growth. And I think, um, but what's interesting about this industry is that it's actually, um, it's very diverse. So like the ownership and the concentration, right? The Most of the states actually have limits on how many licenses you can have in a state or percentage of the overall licenses. Um, there are 13 or so public companies up in Canada, mostly in Canada in the U.S., but that will grow significantly. So there is this inherent built-in diversification because it's state-by-state regulated, and each of the states have diversification um, restrictions. So it's it's really kind of provides a unique uh, investing uh, landscape. This is a fascinating industry. There's already a $50 billion industry. Just a lot of it's right. been operated by 
you know, drug gangs and illegally. And now it transitions into a legal industry. Is there different friction that occurs as you see that transition happen? I mean, I don't, I don't imagine – you don't hear a lot about this, but do the drug gangs just move away or move into other products, or do they fight the legality of this? How does that work exactly? And any observations on that if you have any? And then the second question is, at what point do people like Amazon and Google get into the pot industry or, or the big tobacco companies, which you're already starting to see? How does that evolve? So a couple things. One is, um, I mean, listen, the gangs, you know, don't really have much say in terms of whether they can fight it or not. Um, I don't think that they really uh, are making uh, political contributions to their to their congressmen. But, um, you know, so the state has really seen this as a, most of the states have seen this as a big opportunity from a tax perspective. So that's really kind of the driver um, from the state side. Um, I think there's certainly the intent of doing, you know, doing good for, by the, you know, from the medicinal purposes, but I think a lot of it is being driven by the, by the tax revenue potential. Um, gangs, yeah, I think what you're seeing is, you know, gangs just moving, you know, drug cartels and such, just moving into other products. I mean, historically, cannabis, marijuana hasn't been the most profitable um industry so it's uh you know other things uh, you just listen to president trump and what he's talking about coming in over the wall he, he hasn't really mentioned uh, cannabis or marijuana at all it's really talking about other drugs so i think uh they're moving you know they, there's kind of been a migration to you know to higher profit high, higher profitability with drugs and, and what about the big tobacco companies the big alcohol companies are they starting to make inroads and will this will this get cut in the way of the diversity of ownership in this business you know, that, that is a big question, and I guess it kind of is folded into the whole big question about what happens on the federal level. But if you look at just kind of the they, – they, a lot of the companies have already dipped their toe into this. There um, they're actually a couple of them have invested through Canadian companies that, that are looking to expand here. Um, and certainly, you know, the beverage companies and the, and, and the um, tobacco companies, and maybe pharma down the road. But, you know, it, it's not a product – that really lends itself to huge uh, market concentration because of the issues that I mentioned before, right? Like um, the product, you know, there's a lot of different variations and strains and there's better and worse product, but overall it's pretty much the same product that's been around for 5,000 years. It's just stronger and, and there's different ways to consume it, but there isn't the ability to, you know, to get very significant patents and, and restrict trade restrictions here. So, there is somewhat of a level playing field, and some of that will be dictated by how the federal regulations move. Gotcha. So thank you very much. Jordan, just a terrific information. I look forward to having you back on the podcast shortly. Thank you so much. 